Hallelujah for the Lord's Day. There's only one place to be on the Lord's Day. It's in spirit. We're in spirit on the Lord's Day. Okay, brothers and sisters, uh, what I would like to share with you first is a little bit from the previous message, not much, but um, you remember uh, we didn't get to cover these points in detail, but one of the points in following Paul as our pattern and living the life of a God-man, this is Roman numeral 16, is we need to take Christ as our expectation. And Philippians 3 says... We eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transfigure the body of our humiliation to be conformed to the body of his glory according to his operation by which he is able even to subject all things to himself. Now, we didn't share this, saints, but I want us to be impressed with this. We kind of had to to, um, skip over some of these things. You know, but A, under Roman number 16 says, the evil slave says in his heart that his master delays his coming. We should never have that in our heart. Oh, my master, the Lord's coming is delayed. So I can have a good time or whatever. I've got lots of time. Actually, the Lord's coming is at the doors. I use a scriptural term, at the doors. He is very close to coming. Very close to coming. And saints, I hope that Matthew 24, 45 through 41 uh, would be something constituted into your being. You know, um, the Lord says this, Who then is the faithful and prudent slave whom the master has set over his household to give them food at the proper time? Now I want you to notice This is the practicality of living in the economy of God. Notice that Matthew 24, 45 says, Whom the master has set over his household. What is God's economy? God's economy is composed of two words, oikos, which means house or household, and nomos, which means law or administration. So God's eternal economy is his household administration. So here in this verse, we have the word household, whom the master has set over his household. To do what? To give them food. Give them food. What is give them food? That is the divine dispensing. The word household indicates the divine economy. Give them food indicates the divine dispensing. So the divine dispensing carries out the divine economy, which is God's economy, is his household administration, and God's dispensing is for us to be one with him, to give his people food at the proper time. You know, saints, we cannot, okay, let me just say this in the way of a testimony. Uh, I was sharing when we were crystallizing the book of Matthew, and I zeroed in on, on, uh, on these three words. Give them food. Give them food. What is our career description? Give them food. Let's say those three words together. Give them food. 
That's what we're doing on the earth, saints, in the church life. We want to give them food. Give them food. And, of course, the food there is Christ as our spiritual food. Now, saints, we cannot give them food. We have to eat the Lord Jesus first as our spiritual food. And then we can give them food. So all these verses like Jeremiah 15, 16, your words were found and I ate them. And your word became to me the gladness and joy of my heart. Now, I'm quite burdened for this verse. And and, um, I'll just say this, you know, lots of times we skip over the first part of Jeremiah 15, 16. and, And we say, oh, I ate the Lord's words. And his words became to me the gladness and joy of my heart. Okay, I just want you to consider this. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't do anything. How glad are you this morning? What is the gladness level in your being? You know, you know uh, in cars, we have a, is, is it called a dipstick in, in New Zealand? A dipstick. If your car is smoking, you put, something's wrong. You put the dipstick in, you pull it out, it's got this much oil. Saints, the reason why we, we're smoking in our daily life, we're in the church, is because we're short of oil. Amen. We're short of the spirit. Amen. So um, if we're going to, okay, let me come back to Jeremiah 15, 16. Before it says we ate his words, it says your words were found. means that Jeremiah was always discovering things in God's words. Your words were found. And then he ate what he discovered. He ate what he found. So we need to pray, Lord, I'd like to make a new discovery in your word today. I'd like to have a new vision of you today. And then when he gives you that new vision, eat, eat what he showed you. Eat what he showed you. And that word, that raiment that he speaks to you will be the gladness of your heart, will be the joy of your heart. Saints, I am always concerned about our gladness level and our joy level. And I'm not talking about natural gladness. I'm talking about the Lord is our gladness. Uh, you know, in, Psalm, in the Psalms, it says, There is a river whose streams gladden the city of God, gladden. Can you imagine? There's a river in this universe that is a gladdening river. There's nothing out there to make you glad. You you open up the newspaper, oh, it makes you sad, right? But here in the church meeting, all we have is good news. That's what the gospel is. The gospel means good news. It's good news that we're here this morning. I don't know what your morning was like. Maybe you had a hard time getting here. Uh, you woke up. I hope you didn't say, oh, no, and you looked at the clock. Uh, you know, sometimes we do that. Our alarm is set for 6 a.m., uh, and we look at the clock, and it's, fi- it's 5.30 a.m., and we say, oh, no. I only have 30 minutes left, and then I have to get up. Instead, we should look at the clock. We should say, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord Jesus, 30 more minutes, and I get to spend personal time with you. How about that? That's how our, what our attitude should be. So, saints, we have to give God's people 
food. So Caleb and Ezra, you serve the Lord, right? You take care of people. You take, you take care of younger saints. Younger, how, how old are both of you? 16? 15? Wow, that's wonderful, brothers. And so the, 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 the saints you take care of, how old are they? Five to six? Is that what you told me? Wow. You have to be an overcomer to take care of five-year-olds and six-year-olds. Listen, you know, I used to take care of junior high saints. And uh, it's like, I could, you can name a service. I was in it growing up in the church. I, when, you, when you take care of the junior hires, you know, a lot of times you're speaking to them, and their feet don't even touch the floor. You know, they're, they're going like this, you know, and, and you look at them in the back, and they're giggling and laughing. They're not saying, oh, Brother Ed, we want to draw out the word from you. No, not the junior hires. So before you serve the junior hires, oh, I used to pray so much. Lord Jesus, speak through me today. Meet the junior hires where they are. You know, I was in junior high. I remember my, my best friend in junior high. He was so funny. I would just look at him and I would start laughing. He didn't have to say anything. I would just look at him and I'd start laughing. And he'd start laughing. We were always making one another laugh. I don't know. Of course, we were in the denomination then. I don't know how our pastor put up with us. Uh, actually, you know, I would say this. You know, the, the Lord is merciful to us. Of course, uh, my friend's name was Sam. Sam and I. Samuel, Samuel, and I call him Sam, and I was Ed, not Edward. Uh, only my mother gets to call me Edward. Okay, but anyway, I don't think Ruthie calls me Edward. She calls me Eddie. Only my wife gets to call me Eddie. Okay, well, anyway, so Sam and I, we were in junior high together, and we would always be joking. We would always be cracking up. In the, listen, I still remember one time we were ushers, uh, and this is in the Presbyterian denomination. So you had these gold plates, you know, and then the ushers would pass the plates, and then they would walk down the aisle in front of the pastor. He would pray over the offerings. So, <laughs> okay. I don't know why they did this. They trusted us junior high brothers to do this. Okay. So there's three junior hires here, three junior hires here. You know what Sam did to me? We were the lead ones. He goes like this. Like fakes, like he's going to walk. So you know what I did? I went. And so we were walking down. We were walking down in a single file. And I was laughing so hard. I said, how could he do that to me? You know? So I was laughing so hard because we you're supposed to walk, I guess, two and one. But he faked like he was going to walk. He goes, so I was going. So we got down to where the pastor was. And I, I was praying, Lord, save me from bursting out laughing here. You know what I mean? Because I was holding it in. You know what I mean? I was like this. And I could hear him going, <laughs> so somehow the Lord, I was able to hold my laughter in. 
And then the, the pastor got done praying over the offerings. And Sam and I, we ran back to the back. We ran out of the denominational building and we just started laughing, like holding our stomachs. We were laughing so hard. Uh, down here, we were going, <laughs> we were doing that. Then we go out and we're laughing so hard. Oh, and you know, some of the, some of the, I don't know how they put up with us, you know. And our pastor, he was a real brother. And he loved us. I couldn't figure out why he loved us. And, you know, because he loved the Lord, you have to realize, if someone loves a young person, and the, and the young person knows it, and they love the Lord, they link you to the Lord. They are your organic link to the Lord. So anyway, but we were outside, we were laughing, and one of the Sunday school teachers came out, you boys are bad boys. And we just laughed harder. <laughs> we were bad boys. Okay. Anyway, um... The junior hires, they don't, uh, they don't get, you know, you have to be really, really exercised. And so, um, I don't know how I got on the junior hires here. I was, I was asking you brothers, I was asking you brothers who you serve, five and six-year-olds. Wow, I never served five and six-year-olds, but I served junior hires. You brothers used to be in junior high, right? Were you good boys? No. Junior hires, maybe you were good boys. But there were times when you were naughty boys. Am I right, Ezra? Okay. You're saying yes reluctantly. But uh, that's true. Listen, one time we were in Sunday school class. Forgive me, I'm digressing here. Uh, maybe this will make you ready for the message this morning. Uh, we were in Sunday school class. And um, the Sunday school teacher, I don't think he was regenerated. He started talking negatively about hippies. Hippies. And, oh, you know, these hippies, they have long hairs, long hair and beards. I pointed to the picture on the wall. I said, sir, it was a so-called picture of Jesus. Now, that is, that, that is not Jesus. You know that. That is not Jesus. I don't know who that guy is. But that is not Jesus. So I said, sir, look, he has long hair and a beard. His face got bright red. He was like, you know what Sam and I were doing? We were, we were going, all right. We, get <laughs> we were so naughty. I saw, I saw uh, Brother McLeod and his wife, Sister McLeod, much later after I came to the church. They came to Anaheim to go to this conference at the Crystal Cathedral. So Ruthie and I met them. And uh, I said, oh. Brother and Sister McLeod, I don't know how you put up with us. I was such a naughty boy. And Sister McLeod says to me, she says, Ed, you weren't that bad. You weren't that bad. Inside I said, oh, yes, I was. <laughs> but because they loved us, I mean, this couple loved Sam and I. You know, they just lo loved the love of the Lord. They loved us with the love of the Lord. Listen, let me tell you another bad thing we did. We lived, we, we, the denomination was very close to the steel mills of Homestead, Pennsylvania. And so you had, our denomination is on 7th Avenue. Then you have 8th Avenue. And you have 7th Avenue, 6th Avenue is where the steel mills were. 
This is a rough area. So Sam and I go to one another. Let's skip Sunday school. Let's go down to 8th Avenue. So we went down to 8th Avenue. We found a 24-hour uh, uh, kind of a restaurant and ice cream shop. So it's like 9 a.m. We order these huge sundaes. You know, with whipped cream and a cherry on top. We're eating this at 9 a.m. in the morning. All of a sudden, Sam is sitting across from me. All of a sudden, he looks up. His face is so pale. I'm like, uh-oh, we're in trouble. Is there a policeman behind us? I look behind us. It was Brother McLeod. <laughs> Somehow, he found out we weren't in Sunday school. He went down to 8th Avenue. He went searching for us. Shows you the kind of brother he was. He should have been preparing for a sermon. But he's concerned about these naughty junior high boys. So he comes in, he goes, he goes, what are you boys doing? I said, well, Brother McConnell, we're eating ice cream sundaes. <laughs> he, he had to cover his mouth. He started laughing, you know. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, thank the Lord he didn't give up on us. You know, even I went to, you know, eating ice cream sundaes on, on the Lord's Day morning. Uh, I was, Dawn, you and I were marked men. The Lord had a mark on us. You know when it says, he predestinated us unto sonship. That predestination means we were marked out. We were marked out unto sonship. I'm so glad. Aren't you glad the Lord marked you out? And I think all of us, we tried to get away at one time or another. We tried to get away, but the Lord would not let us get away. And the Lord will not let us go. That's why we're in this meeting this morning. He will not let us go. Okay, now, I better come to what I'm going to share with you. Let me look at the time here. Okay, don't worry. Everything will be fine. All right, now, you know, I talked about the Chinese speaking conference we're going to have on 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. And how Paul says, everyone who loves the Lord's appearing will gain the reward of the crown of righteousness. The crown of righteousness. And, um, you know, to love the Lord's appearing, you can, we'll see this later in one of the messages, you can't separate loving the Lord from loving his appearing. How are you going to love his appearing if you don't love him? Right? And not only that, I was sharing this with the brothers. In Acts 26, 16, the Lord told Paul, he said, I will make you a minister and a witness of the things in which you have seen me and of the things in which I will appear to you. So the Lord kept appearing to Paul again and again and again, and again, until his second coming is his ultimate appearing. You see, his appearing to us, it, when he appears to us, he makes himself more real to us. He manifests himself to us. So we have to love him uh, to love his appearing. If we do, we will receive him as a crown of righteousness. You know, I was sharing with the brothers that in Genesis 3.24, Man fell, and God protected the way to the tree of life. I always wondered, why did God do that? Why didn't he just open up the way to the tree of life? 
and let fallen man eat the tree of life. Well, the life study of Genesis is very clear on this point. God protected, guarded the way to the tree of life because he did not want man to live forever with his sinful nature. If man would have eaten the tree of life, he would have lived forever with his sinful nature. So what did he do? He put a flaming sword there, and it was moving every which way to protect the way of the tree of life. There was a cherubim there, the cherubim of glory. So what do you have pictured there? You have the tree of life. You have righteousness signified by the sword. Holiness signified by the flame. And glory signified by the cherubim. So if you make Genesis 3, 4, you turn it into something positive, it shows God's eternal purpose. God wants us to eat and enjoy him as the tree of life so that we are infused with him in his divine attributes of righteousness, holiness, and glory for his eternal expression in this universe. Now, what's interesting, saints, is if you look at the Bible, um, you remember Genesis 3.24, you have life, righteousness, holiness, and glory. Now, uh, in Revelation 2.10, it says this to the saints in Smyrna. The Lord says this, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. That's a tree of life. I will give you the crown of Zoe. It's the eternal life, the indestructible life. In James 1.12, this verse says, uh, it uses this term, the crown of life which he promised to those who love him. Saints, again, I hope we have a reconsecration even right now. Lord, I give myself to love you today. Amen. Make my love for you fresh, new, real, living, vital, and active today. Uh, he promised the tree of life to those who love him. Oh, I'm sorry. He promised the crown of life to those who love him. Now, in 2 Timothy 4, we have the crown of righteousness. In Exodus 28, if you look at Exodus 28, 36 through 38, the high priest had to wear a turban. And on that turban, there was a gold plate, a gold plate. And inscribed on that gold plate was, in all caps, holiness to Jehovah, holiness to Jehovah. And that gold plate was called the crown, the crown. So there was a crown on, on, on the high priest's head, on a turban. And that crown was the crown of holiness. Now, you also have the crown of glory in 1 Peter 5, 4. The Lord, through Peter, promises the elders that if you are faithful to shepherd the saints, you will receive the crown of glory. So you see, you have all these aspects here. The crown of life, the crown of righteousness, the crown of holiness, and the crown of glory. When we enjoy Christ to the uttermost as the tree of life, he will, he will burst out of our being as the crown of life. He'll be our crown. Not only that, we'll be so saturated and soaked with him in his divine, holy attributes that his attributes will become our virtues. And we will enjoy him for a thousand years as the crown of righteousness, 
the crown of holiness and the crown of glory. Because we enjoyed him as the tree of life, he becomes our crown of life. And because, we, because he's our crown of life, we enjoy him as our crown of righteousness, holiness, and glory. That is God's eternal purpose. I don't know if you like that, but I like it. So that's why I shared it with you, because I like it. I thought if I liked it, you'll like it too. Okay, now, uh, you, know, you know, Peter told me that the young people put this to music, and I didn't know it. I said, boy, the young people saw this before I saw it. And uh, listen to this verse. Uh, and this has everything to do with the things we've been talking about. Learning Christ as the realities in Jesus. Here's what Moses said. In Deuteronomy 30, 19, he said, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your seed may live. Saints, in this meeting, we have to choose life. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be ludicrous if we came to the meeting and choose, chose death and chose curse? Let's choose life this morning. Let's choose Zoe. Life is a person. Life is Christ himself. So Moses, what Moses said, choose life. And then in verse 20, he told us how to choose life. Listen to this. Choose life in loving Jehovah your God. The way to choose life is to love the Lord Jesus. That's how you choose life. Choose life. By saying, Lord Jesus, I love you. Can you say, Lord Jesus, I love you three times with me? Lord Jesus, I love you. Lord Jesus, I love you. Lord Jesus, I love you. Oh, when you did that, you chose life. You chose life. Choose life in loving Jehovah your God. Now, how do you love Jehovah your God? Choose life in loving Jehovah your God. How? By listening to his voice. By listening to his voice. The way you love the Lord is you listen to his voice. Right? If you love someone, you listen to them. Right? Uh, like brothers, I think you all love me. Right? Malachi, you love me. Right? I love you too, brother. Okay. Because you love me, you're, gonna, you're listening to me. Right? Uh, when you love a person, you listen to them. You don't, you don't, uh, oh, I get so grieved when, you know, when the coworkers come up and share, uh, as, as a fellow coworker, I have to stand with them. I have to listen to them. I shouldn't have my phone out doing this while they're sharing. But I see brothers doing that. What? Throw your iPhone in the, in the Yangtze River and, and stand with your fellow coworker and listen to him. I'm sorry, you know, don't look at the brothers. If you want to get encouraged, look at me. You'll see I'm not doing this, you know. What, do you think I would be doing this when Brother Lee was sharing? You've got to be kidding me. Well, we should be the same way. You remember Peter said, I mean, Paul said, even as you obeyed when I was here, much more in my absence, you should do the same thing. That's how I feel. Uh, related to Brother Lee. So we love him by listening to his voice and holding fast to him. We hold fast to him. We don't let him go. It's like in Song of Song, the seeker said this, I held him and would not let go. 
I held him and would not let go. So, you know, we know that the word Habakkuk, Habakkuk, it means embracing or clinging to. If you look at the note, now I'm amplifying the note with the high peak of the divine revelation. I'm, I'm putting that in there. Because Habakkuk means embracing or clinging to. What that means is God became a man to embrace sinners. Amen. To accomplish judicial redemption. Amen. To die on the cross for them. So that sinners might cling to him. So he died on the... He, okay, God became a man to embrace sinners. When did he really embrace us? On the cross, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that, uh, you know, that we would not perish, but have eternal life in him. So he embraced us on the cross. But it was so, it doesn't stop there. It's so that we might cling to him for our organic salvation. So when we cling to him, we pass through regeneration, sanctification, transformation, confirmation, and glorification, and we become exactly the same as God in life, nature, and function, but not in the Godhead. For his glory in the universe. Isn't that wonderful? Embracing and clinging to. I could, I could never, would you have ever seen that without the footnote? I would have never seen it. That's why we, that's why we need the ministry. Okay, now, let's come to the message. <laughs> this is message four, right? Message four. Living in the reality of the body of Christ by living the Lord's ministry with the contents and ways of his gospel service. Roman number one says the Lord, I love this, listen to this. Roman number one says the Lord's life was his work, his move, and his ministry. His work was his living, and his move was his being. With him, there was no difference between his life, his work, his move, and his ministry. The Lord Jesus lived his ministry. Isn't that wonderful? Saints, we need to live our ministry. There should be no difference between our life, our work, and our ministry. Okay, now Roman number two says, we need to see and enter into the reality of the contents of the slave Savior's wonderful and excellent gospel service. Wonderful and excellent gospel service. So this is from the life study of Mark, from the gospel of Mark. What are, what are the wonderful and excellent ways or the reality of the contents of the slave Savior's wonderful and excellent gospel service. This will tell us this. A says, the first thing he did in his gospel service was to proclaim the gospel. Saints, we all need to proclaim the gospel. Am I right? Is there any exception in here? It says, oh, I don't need to proclaim the gospel, Brother Ed. Anybody? Raise your hand. You say, I don't need to proclaim the gospel. Let's switch places here. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm teasing. Okay, anyway. We all need to proclaim the gospel. Now remember, the gospel is the good news. And the gospel is not just the gospel of regeneration. The gospel is the full gospel. 
You know, in the book of Romans, the book of Romans is concerning the gospel of God. What does the book of Romans talk about? It talks about justification, sanctification, the body of Christ, the local churches, and the blending together of the local churches. That is the gospel of God. That is the full gospel. You see? So we need to proclaim the gospel. Now one says, Christ himself with all the processes he passed through and all the redemptive work he accomplished is the content of the gospel. Um, oh, these verses are so good, but I know I'm going to have to skip over them. Uh, you know, uh, okay, wonderful. Okay, let me come to two. His proclaiming was to announce God's glad tidings. Hallelujah for glad tidings. Aren't you glad you can come to a place and hear glad tidings? Aren't you glad you don't come here and I give you a newspaper to read? Oh, you'd be sad, right? But we come here and we hear the good news. Listen, Christ himself is the good news. He is the good news. So his proclaiming was to announce God's glad tidings to the miserable people in bondage. Saints, before we met the Lord Jesus, before we contacted the Lord Jesus, before he became real to us, we were miserable people in bondage. Uh, brother, what is your name? I'm sorry, you told me. Hudson. Hudson, right, that's a good name, Hudson. Uh, did you know in the state of New York, in America, there's a Hudson River? Oh, you knew that, huh? It's a very wonderful river. The Hudson River. Okay, you're, brother, you're the Hudson River. You have a river flowing out of your innermost being. You know, you know, uh, Hudson, and I say this to both you and me, have we ever been miserable? Me too. I've been Listen, if you've never been miserable, you're not a normal human being. I don't want to be around you if you've never been miserable. Get real. You, you know, if you've never been discouraged, how are you going to enjoy the Lord as your encouragement? Now, I'm not, I'm not telling you to go out, I need to be discouraged. So I experience the Lord as my encouragement. But the fact is, in human life, the Christian life is very scenic. It's not like western Kansas. You know, truck drivers, they hate to drive through western Kansas because it's so flat and the road is like this. The road is just straight. So it's easy for them to fall asleep. But when you drive in New Zealand, when you drive in New Zealand, it's like this. It's a very scenic drive. Every drive in New Zealand is scenic. It's scenic. That's the Christian life. Christian life is a scenic drive. You go up, be prepared to go down. And you go down, you go sideways. And then you go this way. That's the Christian life. So sometimes... Sometimes we can be miserable. We can be in bondage. But thank the Lord we have him. The Lord is never miserable. Have you ever contacted the Lord and said, oh, I'm miserable after contacting the Lord? Right? Uh, if you come to the meeting, sometimes you saints, if you're miserable, come to the meeting. If you're, if you're having problems, bring your problem to the meeting. Don't wait at home to straighten your problem out and then come to the meeting. You know, in Christ and the church, as revealed and typified in the Psalms, there's a portion that says this 
It says, no matter what kind of problems you're having, just praise the Lord and come to the meetings. I read that as a new one. And uh, I said, oh, this is simple. Praise the Lord. Come to the meeting. One day I was having problems. I said, I can't go to the meeting. I, there's no way I can go to the meeting, you know, even though I read that. So this brother calls me on the phone. You know, and again, these with these phones, with the, with, you know, not the iPhones. I pick up the phone. He goes, hi, brother Ed. I'm, I'm driving by your apartment. I'm going to pick you up for the meeting. Click. I said, oh, Lord Jesus, I have no choice. I have to go to the meeting. So I remembered, Ed, praise the Lord and come to the meeting. So I was a new one. You know, new ones, sometimes you have problems and you don't know how to break out of them. So I'm driving with this brother. He's praying, I'm praying. And I still felt like I was bound. And um, again, I'm a new one, so you have to give me a little, uh, little, uh, leeway here in the story I'm going to tell you. Um, we came to the meeting hall in Houston and I said, brother, why don't you go in? I, I have something I need to do. So he went in. I went to the side of the meeting hall and I said this. I said, Satan, you've been bothering me all day. Now, I'm, if you're going to keep bothering me, I'm going to make you go into that meeting hall and sit with me on the front row. <laughs> I sat on the front row. I praised the Lord. And I gave a testimony that evening. What happened? Praise the Lord. And come to the meetings, right? Anyway, uh, okay, now. Let's look at, okay. Not only that, his teaching was to enlighten the ignorant ones in darkness with the divine light of the truth. Three says his proclaiming implied teaching and his teaching implied Proclaiming. B said the second thing he did in his gospel service was to teach the truth. The saints, truth is not doctrine. Truth is not doctrine. Here's what truth is. And you can look at this. We have a book called Truth Messages. Of course, it's in the Collective Works of Witness League. But I, I always go by the books because I have all my notes in my books. Okay, and Truth Messages, the first two messages give you a definition of the truth. And here's a good practical definition of the truth. The truth is the divine light shining on the facts of the Bible and televising a vision of these facts into your being. So the truth is heavenly television. You know, it's just like if you... If you um, Let's say you're playing football. I mean the real football, not the American football. The real football. It doesn't make sense, does it? America has a ball like this. It's shaped oblong. They're throwing around. They don't kick it that much, right? The real football is that round ball that you're kicking all the time. Am I right? Don't you call it football here? Don't be so spiritual, brothers. You have to call it football here. You know, Daniel, Daniel was in Babylon. And he was one of the top officials in Babylon. You don't think Daniel knew what was going on in Babylon? He knew everything. He watched BNN, Babylonian News Network. <laughs> Not CNN, BNN. Okay, anyway. Brother, he was a very knowledgeable person. He always knew what was going on. 
currently, you know. One time he told me, he said, Ed, I love soccer. When I, it, he called soccer with me because he knows soccer. And when I was a young person, I loved soccer. I said, really, brother? He said, yeah, on the weekends, I would play it from sunup to sundown. Sunup to sundown. And he said, when I got the ball, I didn't mess around. I just kicked it in the goal. Boom. Right away. And, um, you know, eventually he gave the testimony that the Lord began to deal with him. And one day he was on the soccer field and the ball, ball rolled off the football field. Soccer field, the ball rolled off. And brother, he said, that's it. My time of playing football. You know, in other words, football wasn't just mere recreation to him. Football was like a golden calf to him. I say that because it was, I, I, I played with another kind of ball. Isn't it amazing there's all, so many kinds of balls? It's like a golf, it's like a ping pong ball. And some people give their lives to playing ping pong. Just look at the Olympics. They're going bam, bam, they're standing like 10 feet away from the board. I can't believe it. You know, there's a ping pong ball, and there's a little bigger ball, a golf ball. And people, there's, there's men out there playing golf right now, right, Peter? Praise the Lord, Peter. Lord, save us from the golf ball. <laughs> and then there's a little bigger ball. There's a baseball. Do they have baseball here? What did you say? More softball than baseball. Oh, softball. That's easy. Baseball. 100 miles an hour. Whoa. Okay, anyway. So, but softball, you know, you have to be pretty adept at softball. Because the ball, when you're batting, it comes at you like this, right? So you have to time it perfectly. So I know a little bit about that. I know too much about it, actually. <laughs> okay, so you have a softball. Then you have a volleyball. A little bit bigger ball. Oh, my goodness, then you have a basketball. It, you know... I found out that there are New Zealanders that are very proficient in basketball. There's this one New Zealander. He, anyway, I don't know what team he's playing for the NBA right now. His last name was Adams. Oh, you know him. <laughs> but you know about it. Is it Stephen? Stephen oh, he's so good. He's not just big. He can rebound. He can pass. He can shoot. And he's tall, he's much bigger than me, much bigger than me. I'd be looking up at him like this, you know. But it's amazing. The Lord has raised up some new, from New Zealanders, not just to be, uh, what do they call the rugby, the black shirts? Oh, full black, sorry. What, what is it? I'm sorry. Now, in the Bible, that doesn't sound so good, all black. It's, I mean, darkness, right? Okay, but all black. That's the best rugby team in the world. Am I right? <laughs> Some brothers are going, all black, all black. You know, my boys, I need to, it reminded me, I need to bring them back some all black jerseys because they, they keep track of all the international sports. So, you got the basketball. Then you got a football. It's a strange ball, right? Like oblong. You, you, you throw passes in it. 
looks like a missile, right? Actually, it's quite beautiful, you know. You, know. And I, you have a beach ball, big ball like this. Why, do, you know, Satan uses all these balls to distract people. Am I right? It's interesting. It's almost like he invented balls. He uses all these different kind of balls. Listen, that basketball was a golden calf to me. It was a golden calf to me. And the Lord had to take that away. The way he took that away from me is I got a real bad knee injury. Real bad knee injury. And so that knee injury destroyed my golden calf idol career. But you know what happened? There was a student nurse assigned to me, and that was my wife. And she said, I want you to assign me to that young man right there, Eddie Marks. I didn't know that she assigned herself to me, but I found out later. That was, that was the one piece of good news for me playing basketball in college. Now, some people look at me and say, Ed, didn't you play American football? How big you are. I said, I said, brother, that was many pounds ago when I played basketball, you know. Anyway, uh, but thank the Lord. I'm glad Ruthie was my student nurse. Uh, that was one good thing out of that. So, saints, we need the light to shine on the facts of the Bible and televise a vision of these facts into our being. When that happens, saints, consider your experience. You can never forget that. If God televises Acts 5.20 into your being, and he did that with me, go, stand, and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. He televised that into my being. That's how I can remember it. I didn't try to remember it. I didn't go to, oh, I need to remember this verse. I prayed over that verse. I prayed that verse back to the Lord. And he televised it into my being. And it became truth to me. The Lord did not say, I am the way, the doctrine, and the life. He didn't say, it doesn't say in John 1, uh, the word became flesh, full of grace and doctrine. It doesn't say that. Full of grace and truth. Truth is a person, firstly. But truth is the shining of the divine light. Shining on the facts of the Bible to televise a heavenly vision of those facts in our being. Saints, just consider, let's say you're watching uh, a rugby match. And I can't figure out rugby. I don't know what they're doing. They get around like this. And they're, they're doing this, right? You know. I said, what are they doing? Are they praying? I just was looking at I was looking at them on the news recently. I said, are they praying before they play the game? That they're going like this. And then one of them grabs the ball. Right? All right, Malachi? And then they start running down the field. Then they lateral it to one another, right? Oh, it's such a rough game. Bam! Hit one another. Much you have to be much stronger than an American football player to play rugby. Uh, but I can't figure rugby out. And then sometimes they get a free kick, right? And, and you don't just kick the ball straight. It has to be a drop kick. It has to hit the ground and you kick it. You realize the skill you have to have to drop kick a ball? You have to time it perfect. Bop, bop. Right? 
And then it goes through the goalpost. And you get a point for that. Or two points. You don't know, Don. You, or you forgot. You and I are forgetting a lot these days, brother. Okay, do uh, you get one point? Is it a point? It's three. It's three. Two or three. Two. Why, is, why, why does it go from two to three? Is it distance? Uh-huh. <laughs> it's just so interesting to me. Okay, what about what about Peter and brothers when you when you're going down there and you go over the goal line? How many points you get there? Whoa, five points, two points, three points. Okay, let's just think about this. Let's say these two teams. One team is down one point, and there's only 30 seconds left. And here comes the other team. They're going down the, down the field, and, and uh, do they call it a goal when they pass over the, what do they call it? When you pass? A try. A try? T-R-Y? I thought a try wasn't successful. <laughs> You tried, but you didn't make it. Okay, I tried. Okay, let me come back. I need to become a New Zealander. To the New Zealanders, I became a New Zealander. Right, just like in the Bible. Okay, I tried. So you got to try, and you got five points, and you won the game. Now, if let's say let's say I'm around the coffee. Well, I don't know if in businesses in like Penzo Company, there was a coffee pot and. People would gather around a coffee pot. Maybe it's the tea in business. I, I don't know. You know, I still remember I was in a co-workers meeting here the first time. And all of a sudden, right in the middle of the co-workers meeting, my brother says, brothers, it's tea time. Stop everything. I remember, what? I didn't say it like that. Inside, I was like, what is going on here? It's tea time. Sorry, I don't care if we're talking about the fate of the world. It's tea time. <laughs> so we had tea. Oh, I, I just, I appreciated tea so much more. After having tea time so many times. Um, okay. But let's say that you read about this in a newspaper. It was a newspaper report to you. Then you shared it with someone. They probably don't gather around a coffee station. Is it the tea station or what? What? Both, coffee or tea. Russell, do you have coffee or tea? Both. You like tea better than coffee? <laughs> okay. Probably when you need extra caffeine, you go to coffee, right? Okay. All right, anyway. Um, I'm sorry, Saints. This is, you're like a family to me. I'm having a family time here. Okay, anyway. Um, uh, okay. So I read the newspaper report. That's doctrine. You see that doctrine? So I talked to you brothers about it. Oh, you brothers, it's amazing. In the last second, they got, they got a try, right? They won the game. But if someone, was, if someone was watching that game on the telly, they call it the telly? On no, the television, the telly. 
If someone was watching that game on the telly, they would be a lot more excited. Am I right? Oh, they'd probably be jumping up and down in their living room. Right? And now, if you were actually at the game, you would be ecstatic. If you were around the coffee pot, teapot, you, you, you couldn't believe it, people. What happened at the game in the stadium? Because you were actually there. And so that's what the truth is. You get transported actually into the divine and mystical realm of the process and consummated triune God. He shines on the divine facts in the Bible. He televises a vision of those facts in your being. And it's when you speak it, it's different from someone who just read the newspaper. You're excited about it. Since we should be excited about the Lord. Why aren't we so excited? Because we have very little truth. We have a lot of doctrine. You see? Now, now, if you have truth, if you have the shining of light on the facts of the Bible, televising a vision of those facts in your being, you become crazy. And I mean that in a very holy sense. You become a crazy lover of Jesus. We have a book in our book room. One chapter the title one chapter is Crazy Lovers of Jesus. Now, I, I, I challenge you to go to any seminary on this, in this country. Try to find a message on the crazy lovers of Jesus. I don't think you could do it. Couldn't do it. Brother, he said in that message, if you say Lord Jesus a hundred times a day, you'll run to the meeting in the evening. You'll run to the meeting in the evening. Um, saints, we are the Lord Jesus, I love you people. Amen. Aren't we? Amen. The first time I heard someone say, Lord Jesus, I love you out loud was in a church meeting. The brother who I was fellowshipping with, he said, Ed, I want to take you to, to a meeting of the church in Houston. I said, that church in Houston, what kind of church is that? You don't have no name. He said, well, I had these people, they really love the Lord. Let me just tell you. He said, they'll even stand up in their meeting and say, Lord Jesus, I love you. I said, really, George, are these people real brothers and sisters? Yes, they are. And so I went, the first time I heard people say out loud, Lord Jesus, I love you. Now, I'm a Lord Jesus, I love you person. You know, uh, so uh, anyway, saints, not doctrine, truth. Truth is different from doctrine. Truth changes the world. Martin Luther saw this verse, uh, the, the, the righteous are justified by faith. You know, he saw justification by faith from Romans. It became the truth to him. It revolutionized the whole world. It wasn't doctrine to him. It was the truth to him. Now, all these things we're talking about in the last days before the Lord's coming, this is the ministry of the age that ministers the vision of the age that will bring in the next age, the millennial kingdom of a thousand years. Now, two says the Lord's teaching of the truth was to bring people out of the satanic darkness into the divine light. The slain savior as the light of the world came as a great light to Galilee, the land of darkness, to shine on the people who were sitting in the shadow of death. Three, his teaching 
release the word of light to enlighten those in the darkness of death that they might receive the light of life. Now we come to the third thing. The third thing the Lord did in his gospel service was to cast out demons from the possessed people. Now, uh, you know, brothers, uh, Malachi, Caleb, and Ezra. Did you read Life Study of Genesis, the first two Life Studies? Good. So you know all about what a demon is. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm putting you on the spot, brother. You, you probably don't. If I ask you to come up here and give a message, tell us what demons are. Could you do it? You couldn't do it. I'll answer for you. I'll answer for you. And that's okay. That's okay. I can do it because I've been in recovery so many years and I've studied so much. Man, I used to sit on the front row. Brother Lee would call me. One time he said, Brother Ed, tell us what the divine nature is and tell us how we can partake of the divine nature. There's 2,000 people there. I stand up. I try to say something. He says, that's not quite right, Brother Ed. Try again. I stood there. I stood there. It felt like I was standing there for 30 minutes, but I wasn't. It was like one minute. He said, okay, Brother Ed, you can sit down. I sat down. I said, I'm migrating to Mongolia after this. <laughs> but, you know, as I was walking, Brother Lee, back to his apartment, he said, Ed, I want you to consider this. Study this matter. How can we be partakers of the divine nature? I studied all afternoon. You know, because we were going to be meeting in the evening. So we had the evening meeting. He didn't call me again. Here's what he said. He said, I want to let all you know that I use Brother Ed Marks as a sacrifice. When I asked him to tell us what the divine nature is and how you can partake of the divine nature, I sacrificed him. Because I knew none of you could answer that question. So I was a living sacrifice. <laughs> okay, now, you know, the life study of Genesis points out that between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2, there was a gap. There was a gap. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And there's an interval, what's called the interval, between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2. It says, but the earth became waste and void. That means it became something it was not. It's the same Hebrew word in Genesis when it says Lot's wife became a pillar of salt. She wasn't a pillar of salt. She became a pillar of salt. In the same way, uh, the earth was not created waste and emptiness, but it became waste and emptiness, and darkness was on the surface of the deep. Of course, when we study the entire Bible, we realize that between Genesis 1-1 and 1-2 was Satan's rebellion. Satan rebelled against God. And when he rebelled against God, uh, you know, he was the most honorable archangel. He rebelled against God. He became Lucifer. He became Satan. He became God's adversary, God's enemy. And so, not only that, there were some pre-Adamic beings during that time who followed Satan in his rebellion. Because they did, they were judged by God. You know, the whole universe was judged by God. Uh, 
We don't know how long that interval was. Actually, that interval is where the Ice Age was. That interval is where the dinosaurs were. I used to ask my wife, where's the dinosaurs in the Bible? You know, when she tried to preach the gospel to me. Where's the dinosaurs in the Bible? She go, oh my goodness, how am I going to get this person saved? You know, where's it? She couldn't answer me. So where's the cavemen in the Bible? Where's the dinosaurs in the Bible? No. But now I know where the dinosaurs are in the Bible. They're between Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2. Okay. So you have these disembodied spirits of one of the living creatures who lived in the pre-Adamic age. And they were judged by God when they joined Satan's rebellion. Now, here's what our brother says. I like this. He says, in a modern cultured country, you know, Satan won't use a lot of outward uh, means where demonic activity is very apparent. Uh, what he'll do in a modern cultured country is he will use modern cultured means to usurp people. For example, oh, this is a good example. In the leading colleges and universities, Satan will possess people in an intellectual way. That is exactly what he's doing in our universities. I don't know how it is in New Zealand, but that is exactly what he's doing in the United States of America. He is usurping our young people who go to Harvard, who go to Yale, who go to all these uh, Princeton, Ivy League schools, and they're getting poisoned at these schools, who go to UCLA, USC. I'm so concerned for our sisters. When, they, when these young sisters, they grow up in the church, like they go to USC, they come to the training. You know what? Their minds are full of isms. Fe feminism. Is feminism in the Bible? But a lot of these sisters, they end up getting married after the training. You know what their philosophy is with their husbands? We do everything 50-50, brother. Let me just tell you this. I'm your wife. You're the husband. It's 50-50. You do 50% of the laundry. I do 50% of the laundry. You, you see, it's 50-50. Now, I'm not saying the husband shouldn't help. Surely he should help. But there's no such thing as 50-50 in the Bible, right? Uh, Sarah, look at Sarah's relationship with Abraham. Look at that virtuous woman in, in Proverbs 31, the way she took care of her husband, the way she took care of her children. The way she rose early before the sun came up. And she made sure they were all clothed wonderfully. She took care of her husband in such a way. I'm going to quote from Proverbs 31. That he could become an elder in the gates. There's no way he could, become an, he could have become an elder without a wife like that. You see what I mean, brothers? We should thank the Lord for our wives. Don't, don't you thank the Lord for your wife? Me too, brother. My wife is the reason I'm vertical. Without her, I'd be horizontal all the time. Um, okay, anyway. But, brothers, I'm just telling you, in the United States now, oh, my goodness, the, thing the things they are teaching in our universities are so much darkness. They call darkness light. They call light darkness. They call evil good. They call good evil. They don't even believe in biology. Sorry, you know, if you're here and you don't believe in biology, you can talk to me afterwards. 
Biology. You know, what's your name, brother? Peter. Peter, I know you're a man, don't I? You know I'm a man? How do you know I'm a man? <laughs> because I have the biological characteristics of a man. A man is a man and a woman is a woman, right? And when they get married, it says what God has yoked together, let not man break asunder. In other words, God yokes two people together. There's no such thing as a whatever. I'm not going to use that. They have all kind of initials now. You know, LGB, dot, 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 you know. Is that in the Bible? That's not in the Bible. That's not even, is that in a biology book? Maybe it's in a modern biology book, but whoever that biologist is, is in darkness. In biology, there's a male. In biology, there's a female. Otherwise, there can't be any kids. Where's the kids going to come from? From the male or the female? I'm talking about even in the mitochondria realm. I don't know what mitochondria are. Anyway, uh, you, you know my point. My point. Okay, now let's go, go on. The demons, the demons' possession of people signifies Satan's usurpation of man whom God created for his purpose. Saints, this is why we need to preach the gospel on the campuses. Amen. We need to preach the gospel to young people. The, my son got a master's in business administration from UCLA. I went to his graduation service. And the graduation ceremony, not service, I'm thinking it Christianity now. Okay, graduation ceremony. The dean of the business administration school, she stands up and says, I would like to give a special word of thanks to four, four, four capital letters, what's it? Five capital letters. I'm there, what is going on here? Am I in the twilight zone? Why are you giving thanks? Why don't you give a thanks to the heterosexuals? You, sh you shouldn't do that. But why are you giving a thanks to thanks to to this group? What did they do for your MBAs? They did nothing. And then they then she gave thanks to another group, and she called out the group. And that, that group was a derogatory word when I was growing up. I'm not going to say what. It, don't try to think what it was. Oh my goodness, such darkness. I said, Aaron, what happened to UCLA? I said, Dad, it's bad. But I took in all the good stuff, Dad. <laughs> okay. The Lord came to destroy the works of Satan, and his casting out demons was for people to be delivered from Satan's bondage, out of Satan's authority of darkness, into God's kingdom. D, the fourth thing he did in his gospel service was to heal the sick. Now, sickness just isn't physical sickness. Sickness can also be psychological sickness. It can be spiritual sickness. You see, we need to be healed all the time, right? Psalm 103 says, blessed be the Lord. Uh, blessed be the Lord who, who, who forgives us of all our iniquities, who heals all our diseases. And that, that refers to all kinds of diseases. 
not just physical diseases. Um, okay, let me go on. Sickness issues from sin and is a sign of man's abnormal condition before God. The Lord healed people's sick condition and restored them to normality that they might serve him. Uh, two says, we must learn to preach the gospel and teach the truth like a physician, giving people a heavenly prescription and the divine medicine for their healing. I'm going to write you out a prescription. You know, when you preach the gospel, you write them out a prescription. You give them a shot, and they don't even know it. A shot of divine and mystical penicillin. You know, when penicillin was discovered, people thought penicillin would cure everything. So doctors were giving penicillin shots to everybody. Well, we have divine and mystical penicillin. Saints, listen to this. I love this. Proverbs 4, 20 through 23. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your word to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them, and medicine to all their flesh. Amen. Or you could say, and healing to all their flesh. But these words are medicine to us. They're even medicine to our flesh. Sometimes the best thing you can do when you don't feel good is to read the Bible. Read the Bible. You know, we had some astronauts that went to the moon. And while they were circling the moon, they hadn't landed on the moon yet. They were circling the moon. Everybody on the earth was, was watching them. It was televised all over the world. In Times Square, in New York City, it was on the screen. Everyone's there, whoa. And this one astronaut, he snuck a Bible onto the space shuttle, or whatever you call it. And he started reading. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was waste and emptiness. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And one said, oh. Listen, you know why the Lord took him up there? Just to read the Bible to the world. That's it. There's not, listen, I went to the Smithsonian Institute. They have a moon rock there. And people line up to touch the moon rock. Now, I said, well, I'm here. I better touch the moon rock. So I touched the moon rock. I didn't get zapped. <laughs> Nothing happened to me. You see what I mean? But when I read the Bible, I get a divine and mystical zap. You see the point? Why did they go up there? There's nothing there on the moon. It's just craters. and well, Of course, the moon has, it, has its purpose. But uh, the Lord took them up there to read the Bible. To the whole, can you imagine? He read the Bible to the whole world. You know, I like to go. I would like to go around the moon. And I like to tell the whole earth, earth, hear this. Enjoy the Lord Jesus. Pursue the Lord Jesus. Maybe read a life study then, which, which, you know, it opens up the word, right? Okay. He says the fifth thing he did in his gospel service was to cleanse the leper. Leprosy signifies the sin of rebellion 
the serious sin issuing from within man, such as willful sin, presumptuous sin, and opposing God with determination. You know, saying, I'm so concerned for, for I'm, I'm thinking of one brother. He is opposing God with determination. He's full of leprosy, but he doesn't realize it. And I, I hope he can be recovered. I just don't know. I just don't know. It's up to the Lord. Two says, as seen in the cases of Miriam, Gehazi, and Uzziah, leprosy issues from rebellion against God's authority, God's deputy authority, God's regula regulation, and God's economy. You can read these verses, and you can see these examples. Three says, in order for a leper to be cleansed, he had to shave off all his hair. Now, I would have stopped there. He had to shave off all his hair, but the Bible doesn't stop there. It says, he shall shave his head. He shall shave his beard. He shall shave his eyebrows. He shall shave all the hair off of his body. Why did the Holy Spirit say that? Because this is very meaningful typologically. Look at one. The hair of the head signifies man's glory and self-display. You know, man is always seeking glory. Even in the church. You know, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 or 5, he said, we do not preach ourselves. We do not seek our own glory. We do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. So we shouldn't seek our own glory. The beard is man's self-assumed honor. Sometimes we're like this. Let's say, um, let's say Caleb comes up to me. He says, Brother Ed, you need to turn to your spirit. And then I say, Caleb, don't you realize how long I've been in the recovery and you're telling me to turn to my spirit? You know what that indicates? My beard is this long. I need a shave. I need a shave. That's my self-assumed honor. You see? Now, the razor is the cross. The razor is the cross. Now, you know, different, you different brothers, you're all different. And brother, I think you're like me. I need to shave every day. I'm not saying you need to shave. But I need to shave every day. We're talking about typology here. Okay? I need to shave every day. If I don't, it, it's obvious. My wife will say, Ed, you need to shave. You know? I mean, I shave in the morning. It seems like I need another shave by the evening. My point is, is we need the cross to shave off our self-honor every day. We need the cross to shave off our self-glory every day. We need our, the cross to shave off our eyebrows, which signifies man's excellencies, merits, and virtues issuing from his natural birth. We need the cross to shave off all the hair of the body. What does that signify? Man's natural strength and ability. We need the Lord to be our strength. We need the Lord to be our ability. We need the razor of the cross to shave off all our natural strength and ability. Thus, the shaving of all the hair equals getting rid of the self with the glory of man, the honor of man, the beauty of man, and the natural strength of man through the razor of the cross. When we have nothing and are nothing, we shall be clean. Okay, now, I'm just going to read you these five things because of lack of time. 
but you can read the details later. Okay, listen. The five incidents recorded in Mark 2, 1 through 3, 6 reveal the five merciful and living ways taken by the slave savior to carry out his gospel service. What are these living ways? Number one is in A. As God with divine authority, he forgave the sins of the victim of sickness that he might release him from Satan's oppression and restore him to God. The, the scribes consider this to be against the theology of their religion. So what is the first way of the saved, saved Savior's gospel service? Is the forgiveness of sins. He forgives our sins. Okay, now let's skip over to B. As a physician to the sick and miserable people, he feasted with the tax collectors and the sinners. They said, this man eats with tax collectors and sinners. When I read that, I said, praise the Lord. I'm qualified. He eats with sinners. Aren't you glad he eats with sinners? Brothers, are you glad he eats with sinners? Are you, are you sinners, brothers? I didn't, let me say that again. Are you sinners, brothers? There's not much exercise of the spirit there, brothers. Are you sinners? Yes. Good. So am I. So am I. I'm a sinner. That does, I've been forgiven of my sins. But I'm still a sinner. I have sin in this fallen flesh. And so, um, he's a physician. Where, where am I? I'm going to be, yeah. To the sick and miserable people. First of all, he forgives our sins, Right? Now, when we receive the forgiveness of sins, you know what it does? It causes us to fear God, and it causes us to love God. In Psalm 130, uh, verse 4, it says, But you, with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. To fear the Lord means we revere him, we respect him, we honor him, and we regard him highly. And then the Lord told a parable, you know, in, uh, I want to make sure I've got the right gospel in the gospel of Luke. And you remember there, there was this, there was this uh, Pharisee invited him to his house for dinner. And there was this sinful woman that was there. And she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. You know, she stood behind him. She wet his feet with her tears, wiped him with the hair of her head, kissed his feet affectionately, affectionately anointed them with ointment, you know what the Pharisee said? It says he said this within himself. He didn't say it out loud. This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him because she is a sinner. Isn't he a sinner? Of course he's a sinner. But he thinks this woman's a sinner, and I'm not a sinner. I'm a Pharisee. I go to church every day, every Lord's Day. I fast. I give, I give tithes every week. I do this. I'm in the young people meeting. I do that. I do that. I'm not like this brother who goes to one meeting a week or a month. If you're like that, you're self-righteous. You're self-righteous. Okay, anyway, you know what the Lord says? He said, I'll say it this way. He who is forgiven much, loves much. He who is forgiven little, loves little. So because she had the realization she was forgiven much, she loved much. 
she loved much. Now B says, as a physician to the sick and miserable people, he feasted with the tax collectors and with the sinners that they might taste the mercy of God and be recovered to the enjoyment of God. This was condemned by the self-righteous yet merciless scribes of the Pharisees. So the first way, the first, uh, and again, remember, we're talking about uh, the five merciful and living ways taken by the slave savior to carry out his gospel service. The first way is forgiveness. Second way is enjoyment, enjoyment. Now, let's skip over to C. C says, as a bridegroom with the sons of the bride chamber, he caused his followers to be merry and happy without fasting. This is joy. So you have forgiveness. What's after forgiveness? You have forgiveness, enjoyment, and joy. That's what he brings us into. Forgiveness, enjoyment, and joy. And, uh, you know, I don't know if I have this on this outline. Um, I don't think I do. But, you know, it says, it says, it says in this, in this verse, in C, as a bridegroom with the sons of the bride chamber. Oh, it, I do have it. Look under C and look at three. Are you with me? C, three. This is amazing, saints. We are not only the brides of Christ, bride of Christ, but also are the sons of the bride chamber to be the corporate best man of Christ as the bridegroom. Saints, we're the best man of Christ. You ask the Lord, who's your best man? The saints are my best man. You know, I had a best man when I was married. Because I had, you know, my wife's dad married us. In a church life, we don't have best men. Usually we don't. You can have a best man. That's okay. Did you have a best man, Peter? Ray was my best man. Ray? Ray, him and me. I had an old man for best man. Wow. Did you designate him as the best man? Did you say you're my best man? Well, it was assumed. Yeah. <laughs> it was assumed. But you know, in Christianity, they designate it. Oh, yeah. He is my best man. We were at the same place at the same time. Good. <laughs> That's good, brother. But saints, have you ever realized that we are the corporate best man of Christ at the bridegroom? By enjoying him as our new garment and new wine, we become his corporate best man, the body of Christ as the new man. Now, D says, the Lord allowed his followers to pick the ears of grain in the grain fields on the Sabbath, caring for his followers' hunger rather than for religion's regulation. This indicates that in God's New Testament economy, it is a matter not of keeping the regulation of religion, but of enjoying satisfaction in and through Christ as the real Sabbath rest. So we have satisfaction there. Isn't this different from dead and dry religion? We have satisfaction. Then in E, we have freedom. On the Sabbath, the Lord cared for the relief of the suffering one. 
rather than the, for religious ritual. To be religious means to do something for God without the presence of Christ. Now, I come to Roman number four. This is fini. French word, right? Fini, not finis, fini. Okay. The above five ways of the slave savior's gospel service can be summarized by five words. I love this. Forgiveness, enjoyment, joy, satisfaction, and freedom. We can experience him as our full salvation in all these aspects. By what? By touching him. By touching him. Now, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop there, but how about we how about we say these five words together? I'll, I'll read it first. The above five ways of the slave savior's gospel service can be summarized by five words. Let's say these five words with the exercise of our spirit. Forgiveness, enjoyment, joy, satisfaction, and freedom. Wonderful, huh, saints? Okay, I will stop here. And uh, I think we have to pray with our neighbor now, right? And then, then we'll go from here.